Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. and jump into this. I'm not here today as a, as a guest speaker. Uh, I'm here as an apostolic covering over this house and ministry. And therefore, I'm going to take my liberty and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And now what this means for you is, technically I'm not here to preach. Uh, technically I'm here to tell stories, which is great because that's what old men do best. Um, but I'm here to tell stories to remind you who you are. And uh, now don't get me wrong, I love what you do. And um, what you guys are doing in discipleship is the best thing I've seen. Uh, nobody is doing that like you're doing it, and, and I thank God for it. We've talked about this. Um, if we'd have had that peace with the revival, it would, this would have been like the greatest church that ever existed, other than maybe Antioch. Not Berryville Antioch, but the other Antioch, <laughs> as they call it there. Um, and, uh, and you need to keep doing that and do it even more. Uh, discipleship and revival are not mutually exclusive. Amen? And um, so your intentionality on that is, is amazing. But I'm here to remind you of another aspect of who you are. Because you see, this church did not birth a revival. A revival birthed this church. Even though it was almost four years old when the revival hit, still, what it became, it became because of that move of God. And, if, and, and this church would not be here today. And, and your leaders maybe wouldn't even be walking with God today if it weren't for that. Uh, you are forerunners. And that needs to begin to be emphasized a bit again. Now, I have no problem with, I mean, we shorten everything. I'm actually the one that initially started calling it F-Hop because I didn't want people to call it FOP. Hello. So I got in early and said, no, Short as if hop, and I get it, don't stop calling but but remember that it's forerunner. And it's interesting that all the other churches in Kogaf all call you forerunner. None of them call you F hop. Why? Because they know who you are and what you stand for. And we didn't become forerunners when we changed our name to that in 2006. What we did when we changed our name to forerunner was acknowledge something that had been going on for a long time. All right? We weren't echoes and we weren't waiting for somebody else to plow ahead. We were going to plow ahead. Um, and that's why I told my son several years ago, you can't be afraid to just burn the whole thing down. Whoops. I guess that wasn't God. Um, although I could fix anything those teenagers prophesied, you and I can make some mistakes we can't fix. 
so it, it's it's a little different. But um, that's that's what I'm here for today. So we're going to be for, here for a while, as Drew said. If you feel free to go, listen. In 40 years of pastoring, I've never made it an issue with anybody that ever had to get up and leave before we were done. Uh, I had a couple evangelists that did, and they both got their behinds paddled in the office after the service for doing it because people around here get up early and work and all that stuff that we like for them to do. And I said, no, you're not going to chew out people because they have to get up and leave. Preach the word. Amen? And so it's the same. If you've got to go, uh, God bless you. And, and, and I prayed yesterday. I pray you don't miss a thing. I pray God encounters you in your car, in your home. If you're hungry for God, just because you have to leave before we're done today, I pray that God gives you everything that you're hungry for anyway. And I believe He will. And uh, uh, so, anyway. Um, the day the world changed. Saturday... August 3rd, 1996, at about 6.50 p.m. 25 years ago, God rent the heavens and came into this room. His, his manifest presence would be here to a greater or lesser degree for the next 10 years. Now, revival at that time was beginning to stir in America, and I'd heard about it, um, and I wanted it, but I wanted it on my terms. Like you. Because that's who we are. We want it, but we want it on our terms. And my terms was, I was kind of a word of faith guy, so, you know, I want word, word, word. I want really peppy worship, but I don't want it to get out of control. And uh, I want much spontaneous. And um, I don't think everybody had ever been on the carpet here. Carpet time meant you had church cleaning duty this week. All right? That was what that term meant. And, and we, we wanted God, but we wanted Him to behave Himself. Hello. And uh, I didn't want any weird stuff. Everyone say weird stuff. And I'd actually said when, when John and Ruby and my wife and I and our kids started the church, I actually said to John in January of 93 when we started, I said, well, I remember we were walking in the yard and I said, I just want a nice, safe, family-oriented church and no weird stuff. Isn't that what I said? That was my vision. All right? I would love to say, I came here to see this. And um, now, earlier we had wanted weird stuff, but we were over that. And um, so I heard about revival, and some of the stuff was going on. I was coming out of the post office in Green Forest, and, and a brother from Harrison saw me and started talking, started telling me, you know, we didn't have the Internet then. Well, we had dial-up, but that didn't count. And, um, you know, it was email, basically. And we didn't have that, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> our cell phones were like this big, and, uh, you know, and you had to pay to use them. Uh, and so, 
basically, if you lived in Carroll County, Arkansas, you're pretty much cut off from the world, and we didn't have TV at our house, uh, I thought, and I'll leave that for my wife to tell, um, and so we hadn't watched TV in years, so if God was doing something somewhere, I didn't know about it, all right, and so somebody began to tell me about revival that was moving somewhere and described some of the stuff that was going on. And when I turned and walked away from him, I said on my way to my car, that's not going to happen in my church. And the minute I said it, it was like I got kicked right in the chest. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Whose church? And I, I literally, I stopped in the parking lot, the post office, and, and went, uh, 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 well, uh, it's your church. And he said, that's right. And let me tell you something. I'm going to send revival to my church, and if you get in my way, I will remove you. And so I understood that. And we were just talking about this the other day because pastors, we tend to use the terminology, my church. It's not anything Drew and I ever talked about, but we talked about the other day. I said, if you notice, I never used the term my church, my people, since then. But I never talked about it because when that happened, he was junior high. Hey, Drew, guess what? I'm not going to say. And uh, so we were just talking about it. I said, you know, get out of the habit of using that terminology. Because there's something that carries with it. Now, I'll say our church, but I mean, by our church, I don't mean we corporally are in trouble. I mean, that's where we gather. Because see, people that say, we don't go to church, we are the church. Well, you're only partially right. Because the word, the Greek term means a gathering. Now, I know you'll say, no, it means called out no that's what the two components mean but that's not how you translate a word right if if you just take the two pieces of the word and translate and that's what it means i need you to explain to me what a butterfly is hello all right so ek out klesia, it's, it means called out ones yeah, it does, but it's not how the term was used in the New Testament. It was used of a gathering. So we're the church when we're gathered. So you are the church and you go to church. Okay? So I love it that we took advantage of the internet when we were all shut down, and I love everything. And it's gratifying that I have people from California listening to me because i got a guy from Oklahoma that's like, hey, you got to hear this. And so, you know, it, it feeds my ego. Um, I have two people in California that listen. Um, revivals coming to Southern Cal. Um, but the reality is, is that you don't do church online. Church is a gathering. Look somebody in the eye and say, you know, you're not doing good, are you? 
How can I pray for you? Are you hearing? And so, anyway, we have a responsibility as shepherds to protect our church from devils and flesh. Uh, Devils are easy. Flesh, not so much. (laughs) Remember, uh, one of the old preachers, uh, Shambok, he was sitting with a pastor one day. They were getting ready to start a service, and the pastor said, see that woman back there? Yeah, she's full of the devil. Shambok said, good. <laughs> we can take care of that in 10 minutes. But if that's her flesh, it'll take you 30 years. Right? So we, we have to, but our problem is sometimes we try to protect our churches from God. All right? And that's what I was going to do. Have a nice church and protect. Let me tell you why the Holy Spirit came down here in 1996 in power and moved us into this season of revival, the likes of which has not been seen in this region before or since. It's because we fasted and prayed. Yeah, we did a little. Other people did a lot more. Come on. There's like five or six of us gathering one or two days a week praying, saying, God, send revival. Uh, But not so much. We've begged him a lot more than that since then. But let me tell you why he came. Because I had faith in God. Now let me tell you what I didn't just say. I didn't just say, I had faith. God came because of my faith. No, I had faith in God. In other words, I was willing to say, God... Do what you want. And I'll stay out of the way. I'll stay out of your way. As a matter of fact, the pastors, we actually went in a room. Y'all didn't know this. Some of you that were here at the time. We actually went in a room and submitted our resignations to each other. You didn't know it, but you didn't have a pastor at all that whole time. (laughs) Jackie's going, I knew, I knew. I... I just knew it. Uh, and, uh, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, probably because I didn't want to do something you wanted me to do. <laughs> um, I, I resigned. <laughs> we resigned to each other. Me and Richard. and We, we looked at it and said, I resigned. I submit my resignation. God, you're the pastor. And, and we tried to live up to that. And Craig and I, in the early days of the revival, we would do our pre-service prayer in the nursery. Because we wanted to remind ourselves, us God, us God, right? We're the men of God that are leading this revival. No, we're in the nursery. Saying, God, I don't, I don't know why you're doing what you're doing. Boy, could you just do it one more time? One more time. Bob Bartlett says, you have to stop asking God to bless what you're doing and start doing what God is blessing. We were determined to do that. Now, again, I came here to tell stories, not preach. I'm not going to give my customary 50 or 60 verses and and, um, try to exegete them and fit it all 
into an hour. Um, I wrote a sermon in seminary last year, and my my professor said, this was really good, but I think you I think you didn't catch the part where I said I just wanted one sermon. I said, well, it is one. He said, I think you would have trouble preaching that all in one setting. I went, mm-hmm. <laughs> now that explains a lot, doesn't it, Ruby? <laughs> you think? Of course, Ruby always counted the altar calls on my sermon time. You went two hours. No, I didn't. I went an hour, then God went an hour. Um, 1 Peter 5 says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd or pastor of the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. So what God was saying to me at that time was, look, you, you don't own this. And so elders, leaders here, pastors, those of you that are, that are going to pastor somebody, preach, you need to understand something. It's not yours, it's God's. And... Protect the church from the devil and the flesh, but don't protect the church from God. God is weird. Now, don't go out of your way to be weird. Run across a few of those. Everything that's weird isn't God, all right? But God isn't like you, all right? And, and, and what you don't realize as congregations sometimes is the pressure you can bring to a pastor. Because we're in a culture where everything is based upon success. We need to have success. We need to grow. We need more people. And so we kind of leave this impression, look, pastor, I'll bring my friends, but make sure nothing happens in the service that will weird them out. Right? And you actually pray on the way to church, please don't let her do that today. I remember it was a revival hit in August and Ben got saved the first weekend. I mean, I called him Wednesday. I said, today's the 25th anniversary of your baptism. He said, how do you know this stuff? I said, well, because yesterday's the 25th anniversary of the revival. And he got saved the next day, baptized that night. Esther came to the baptism. The Lord started moving in her life. So things are great until December and then and then Billy comes home on break, and it's a December service. He's sitting right over there. And, you know, Billy has kind of a serious look about him, right? And I didn't know him. And he's sitting over there, first service, and this guy gets up leading the testimony service and starts testifying about hooking his toe up to a charger at the chicken coop. Remember? And I'm sitting up here because we sat on the platform then so we could protect the church from devils and flesh. <laughs> and I'm looking back at Billy and, and I'm thinking, well, we just lost that family. <laughs> when he gets out of here tonight, he's going to say, Esther, what were you thinking? <laughs> You're not taking my... But came back. <laughs> 
for 25 years and counting. <laughs> I won't tell you what Chris said to the guy, Gabe. I'll tell you after church. But don't let them do that. Don't let them do that. So you get an entire church operating in fear of man rather than the fear of God. Are you hearing? And, I, and I'm not just talking to you. I could, this, this would be any church in this town. We're more oriented toward the fear of man than the fear of God. And, and Proverbs 29-25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be safe. Peter said it this way, we ought to obey God rather than man. The psalmist said, in God I put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So leaders of forerunner, house of prayer, what does the fear of man look like? How do I know if I have the fear of man? Well, if you have a need for approval or a fear of disapproval, a need for acceptance, Peer pressure affects you. Need for honor, need for recognition, fear of criticism, fear of humiliation. And I was putting that stuff down going, Lord, I don't really like this list. Hello. Because <laughs> it always tries to creep back into our lives. And, and then it, the results of the fear of man is we second-guess our decisions. We become timid when we should be bold. Uh, we judge our self-worth by other people. We're indecisive, unstable, but mostly we become disobedient to God. Because you will obey the one you fear. And if it's man you fear rather than God, you will obey man. I have a few young pastors that I'm in relationship with, and sometimes we'll talk on a Saturday and, um, and I'll ask them two questions. Number one, is what you are going to preach tomorrow, will it require any faith to preach it? And secondly, what you're going to preach tomorrow, if Jesus had preached it, would He have been crucified? Because most of what's getting preached around this town and this county this morning... If Jesus had just preached that, He would have never been crucified. We need to wade into the battle. Now, revival brought two main things to this house. The fear of God and an extreme sense of urgency. When you have revival, you will have the fear of God. And you'll have an extreme sense of urgency. Now someone said, what's the fear of God? <clears throat> I'm afraid of heights. Uh, people say, well, we could get you delivered of that. I don't want delivered of it. <laughs> All right, that should have happened when I was 20. I'm 61, I don't want delivered of them. Stay on the ground. For some reason, I'm not afraid of airplanes, though. It's like, I think the airplane's going to protect me if we go down, but... Uh, but I'm afraid of heights, and, and um, all my life I'd heard about how awesome the Grand Canyon was. So we were on our way to, on a mission trip to Mexico, and all the kids were asleep, and we decided, the leaders, we decided we're going to go out of our way and take them to the Grand Canyon. 
We took them to Grand Canyon, and let me tell you, the descriptions didn't do it justice. The pictures don't do it justice. I mean, they're all great, but when you stand there and look out over that, come on, and if you're afraid of heights, the awesomeness of that moment is ain't nobody need to be goofing around right now. So you're grabbing kids by the thing. No, don't get that gun. No, come back. Pull back. And, and, and I remember standing there thinking, this is like the fear of God. We can talk about it. I can give you a definition. I can give you some scriptures about what the fear of God is. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's, you know, the, the fear of God is... But you don't know the fear of God until you encounter it. Hello. We can define it, but we can't... The fear of God is a real thing that we come into and go, oh, I don't need to be goofing around. Hello. And so, that's the fear of God. And it's the, it's the primary problem in the church of America. We have this BFF Jesus that we can go with, break up with, be mad at. And, and it's just, listen, if we're not careful, we're idolaters. See, people were not idolaters because they built graven images. They built graven images because they were already idolaters in their heart. They imagined that God was like something, and then they built that. And that's what we do. We don't actually go out and buy, build the statue, but we build it in our mind, and we have a picture in our mind of what God is like. And it doesn't represent the biblical God. See, Job said, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, <laughs> but now my eye sees you. And I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. And when you encounter the biblical God for real, you're all done with the game. Because this is God we're talking about. The fear of God is the cure for the fear of man. A man who is intimate with God will, is not intimidated by men. See, if we displease God, does it matter whom we please? And if we please God, does it matter whom we displease? See, if you, if you fear God, you do not fear man. And if you fear man, you do not fear God. And that's why Isaiah 11, 2, Isaiah said the, on the Messiah, which we know is Jesus, the Son of God, on Him will rest, among other things, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, if God manifested in the flesh needed the spirit of the fear of the Lord to rest on him, you better believe you need it to rest on you. And I pray for it daily. It's one of the first things in the morning. Father, let the spirit of the fear of the Lord rest on me. Unite my heart to fear your name. Make me delight in the fear of the Lord. 
It's the way we start. See, people, people worry about revival manifestations. Oh, I was going to tell you, I, I didn't come here to preach. I came here to tell stories. But then I, I realized preaching's not what I do. It's actually who I am. <laughs> so it kind of always turns into that. And did this morning when I was putting together my thoughts. People worry about revival manifestations. By that I mean manifestations in individual people. You know, the fallen, the shaken, the stuff that happens uh, to people. And uh, uh, they worry They worry about those things. And then they say things like, well, the next revival is not going to look like the past revival. And you've got to wonder what they mean by that. Drew and I have talked about it, and... And he says that, but he doesn't mean it that way. He's not talking about what won't be there. He's talking about what will be there. And specifically what he means is we're going to have a move of God and do discipleship. All right? But a lot of people, when they make that comment, what they're saying is we're going to have revival without the weird stuff. Hello. And i got a couple things to say. First of all, since every revival since the upper room until the last one looked pretty much alike, you're probably wrong about that. Probably is going to look pretty much like it. And as a matter of fact, since you don't know anybody that says the next revival is not going to look like that, has an agenda. But, I can talk about revival and tell stories without talking about any individual manifestations. Why? Because what revival was about here was the fear of the Lord and urgency. That was the thing. It wasn't somebody manifesting something. It was about the fear of the Lord and it was about urgency. Urgency means this, forerunner house of prayer. It means you're out of time. We're all out of time. This is what we realized in 1996, we're out of time. See, we had an agreement with the devil up until August of 96. We had a kind of a truce, kind of a covenant. We get this 50 by 55 room, and you get the city. Now you go, ow, that's every church you know, Julie. Just let us have good church services and you can have the city. Every child that was molested last night, every meth addict out there right now trying to find something, every wife that was beaten over the weekend, you can have all that, but boy, we had a good service. Well, then the devil didn't keep his part of the bargain. He started trying to come in here, which he'll do. <laughs> Brother Piker was preaching here once, and Brother Dick and I were sitting over there watching for devils and flesh. And um, Brother Piker said, there's not a devil within 10 miles of this place. I leaned over to Brother Dick. I said, he doesn't know this place like we do. <laughs> 
they're here, they're just behaving <laughs> right now. But listen, revival sets your teeth on edge. Because you don't know. You don't, you don't, you don't get the city. We repudiate our covenant. So God came in manifested power. We were in a, in a prophetic service on that Saturday night. If you don't know what that is, it's when we fly in prophets from all over the country and say, sick them. And um, people would just pack this place out. And there was about 200 people here that night. So you can get 200 in here. We had 277 teenagers here one night. Now granted, they'll get closer together than you will, but you can get them in here, you just can't do anything once they're in here. <laughs> we had 200 people, so the front row was clear up right in here, and, and uh, we're up here, those side sections weren't there, but we're up here on the platform, and, and our prophetic meetings are the most orderly, systematic meetings we would do, because we had a lot to do. We had like three days of them prophesying over everybody. So we had to move along, so... We're going to have an hour worship service, which was short for us, and, and we're going to cut it off, and, and everything's systematic. And the reason that I'd know that it was about 6.50 was because we were fixing to cut it off. I had just looked at my watch, all right, because about a week before I had taken the clock down, because somebody said, you can't have a clock on the wall and have revival, so I took it down, but I still had a watch. <laughs> so I'm looking at the watch, and I'm thinking, okay, we got about 10 minutes. And, and uh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, give an altar call right now. Give an altar call right now. And, and I, I did it. I was tender to it. And the reason I was tender to it was because the month before, I'd been to Springfield in a revival meeting. And a man, Tim was there, a man was given an altar call, and we were standing there. There's about 1,500 people there, mostly pastors and leaders and, and you know, people that snuck in like Tim. And uh, he said, some of you don't really know the Lord. He said, you know about Him, but you don't really know Him. If somebody shut you up in a room right now for 10 minutes and told you to pray, in five minutes you wouldn't know what to do. And that's some of you. And he said, I'm going to give an altar call. I want you to come. And, and I thought, man, I have friends in this room. I've got a couple of enemies in this room. I got people in this room that would love, because it just sounded like a salvation altar call to me. I would love to run back to Carroll County and say, guess who was in the salvation altar call? Pastor David. And so I thought, man, I can't go down there now, but Lord, when I leave here, I'm going to my office at the church, and you and I are going to talk. And you know what the guy said next? Some of you are thinking, <laughs> I can't come in this altar call, but when I leave here, I'm going to go to my office, and Lord, you and I are going to talk. 
He said, but it's not going to work, friend. He said, let me tell you why. Because when you get there, the Holy Spirit is going to say, oh, you want to talk now? What was the problem when you were at the service? Are you ashamed? And he said, friend, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. And I said, Lord, but my friend, and the Lord said, you told me you would do anything. I said, and I will. I said, I won't be a pastor by morning, but I'll be right with God. And if you have to choose between the two, Drew. <laughs> and so he said, when the music starts, and we were on like the fifth row, this huge church. So when the music starts, and I'm thinking there's going to be like three of us losers go down there, you know. <laughs> I'm not right with God. He said, when the music starts, you get out of your seat. The music started, and, and we ran to the front. I don't know how close you got. I was maybe from here to the platform as close as I could get. Over 1,000 probably of those 1,500 people were in the altars crying out. And this went on for hours. And uh, I left there a different man. I don't have time to tell everything that went on that day, but I, I left there a different man. And uh, so I, I feared God. And that's when I took the clock down was after that. And, and, and in the week before that, we'd had manifestations of angels. I, I saw angels. Uh, Craig saw angels. Uh, I, was, I was wondering if it was an angel or not. And, seen, and then this kid at camp, at camp meeting said, Hey, the Holy Spirit told me to share something with you. I just saw an angel, and he described it. It was exactly what I was seeing. And we were seeing angels just literally swirling around the church, just foof, foof. And it was like, this is craziness. And so, so we, we have this prophetic meeting that weekend. And, and the, the Sunday night before, Drew and I went to Jack Ritchie's church in Tulsa to preach, and, and, and people were bringing drugs to the altar and putting them on the altar. There was... This breakout, and people were putting drugs on the altar. And then somebody left a bag of marijuana. Don't leave me a bag of marijuana. <laughs> right? That was a thing back in the day, you know? And, and um, I had my son with me, so praise God. And, and uh, I... And so Jack tells me to get rid of it. Here, get rid of this. It's your church. It's... How long have you been pastoring this guy? He's been smoking dope the whole time. And now it's my problem. And so we went out of there, and it was like midnight, and there was this convenience store across the street that was closed. And so we drove over there by the gas pumps, and they had the trash cans, and I threw that bag of dope in the trash can. And I was proud, and I called my wife. I said, hey, I just threw away a bag of dope. And she said, I thought you did that like 15 years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was a different bag. This one, <laughs> this one was just given to me tonight <laughs> in the altar. I didn't know what to do with it. Jack told me to get rid of it, so I threw it in the trash can at the convenience store. 
And she starts chewing me out. Why did you throw it there? Somebody could find that. You just made it somebody else's problem. Said, whoa, 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 whoa. I haven't had to get rid of a bag of dope in 16 years. Cut me some slack. <laughs> I'm out of practice. And this was all the week leading up to this breakout of God. So when God said, give an altar call, I immediately obeyed. Now there's 200 people in here. The place is full of chairs. And I said, if you want God, a lot of the chairs were folding chairs. The whole room became an altar area. Chairs were folded, pushed out of the way, pushed back. I don't know what you did with them, John, but they're... And now everybody's standing there. And I kid you not, in less than 10 minutes, 100 people are on the ground. There's not room for that in here. They're pulling them out, and, and uh, some of them were actually drug outside. I didn't see that, but they thought, I said, Have, what are we going to They said, oh, we're pulling them outside. So, I mean, our ushers weren't trained for that. And... So we had people laying on the ground outside. And, but all that's cool, but you know what really happened? The fear of the Lord entered the room. Like we had never experienced. Went to about midnight. The next morning, Craig preached. He was here. And Craig will tell you, he didn't bring revival to this church. This church brought revival into his life. He had been in New Mexico pastoring for five years and had seen three people saved. He didn't even come here to preach a revival. He came here to teach on glory. He said, hey, can I come teach on glory? I said, yeah, sure. What we didn't realize what God was going to teach us both on glory. And uh, so he didn't even know how to give a salvation altar call. So he preached that morning, and then I gave the altar call. I didn't know how either, but I'd seen it done. <laughs> so I just did what I'd seen done. Ben got saved. 26 people were saved that day. Baptism that night. 400 people baptized in the next nine months. Right here. And within that nine months, I also went to Phoenix at the command of the Lord. Nobody cared. I'm like, okay, God's told me to go to Phoenix. Okay, bye. <laughs> we didn't care about, oh, we must have this man or that man or... No. And the Lord broke out seven weeks of revival out there that began with a power encounter. Everybody say power encounter. So we start on a Sunday morning, February of 97, and, this, and, and we're worshiping, and this woman who was an usher in the church suddenly screams and starts running toward me. And starts growling and barking like a dog. And um, I'm thinking, okay. Got to do something about this sooner rather than later. And she came and I'm standing up on the platform. And I jumped down from the platform and landed right in front of her. I said, stop! And she just stopped and started snarling. I said, come out! Because, see, I needed a quick answer. Right? 
I didn't need an hour delivering session at that moment. I needed a quick answer. Bam! She goes down. The devil comes out of her. The teenagers are sitting right there. It was funny because four weeks later, one of the teenagers who I'd been going out there for years, her mother said, how come you're not coming to the revival meetings? You love Brother David. And uh, she said, well, she said, Brother David's changed. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? She said, did you see what he did to that woman with the devil? That's not normal, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) And in that service, a a four-year-old boy that had never spoken a word in his life, autistic, was healed and left the building carrying on conversations with anybody. The fear of the Lord fell in the house that night, and I hadn't preached against anything yet. (laughs) I just preached on salvation that morning. That night, people started bringing, we had a pile this high of pornographic videos. I said, hey, put those in bags, please. Pornographic videos, uh, bongs, uh, this is from church people. Uh, Kachina dolls, which are little demonic idols that the Hopi have, and piled up. And every night for seven weeks, we had a bonfire behind the church, people bringing stuff in. And I never one time said, bring this stuff in, let's burn it. They brought it that night. It was the fear of the Lord that fell in place. One night, a gang walked in, and we're looking kind of menacing. And I know, like, I can count from, like, 1 to 10 in Spanish, as long as there's nobody that speaks Spanish there. <laughs> I mean, we, we went on a mission trip to Mexico once, and I wanted to be able to converse with people. We were in this village where people were literally living in cardboard boxes. And so I had learned a little Spanish, and I wanted to say, because we were giving away food, but there's one food per household in this 18 or so year old boy came up with his mother and I didn't know if they lived in the same house so I didn't know if to give him one bag of food or two so I wanted to ask him do you live in the house with your mother and apparently what I asked him was may I live in the house with your mother (laughs) which creates a whole different dynamic for the missions team and so I, I don't know Spanish, but I pointed at them, started speaking in tongues, and I recognized it as Spanish. I knew I was speaking Spanish, I just didn't know what I was saying. I told the leader his name, why he was there, where he lived, what they had been up to that day, and why they had come to the service, and told them to bring their blades to the altar and repent. And they came running to the altar, threw their blades down, and got right with God. Somebody said, well, how come you didn't go for their guns? The Lord didn't say anything about guns. I didn't know the Lord said anything about blades. I never even thought about guns. I'm from Arkansas. If you're here and have a gun, we want you to have it. (laughs) Right? And so, uh, the fear of the Lord fell on us. 400 people were baptized in seven weeks out there. Meantime, the revival actually increased here. Well, I was gone, so like I got back there like, hey, good to see you. 
But I do want to talk about some manifestations, what I call fear of God manifestations. First of all, it was the operative atmosphere throughout all of it. The fear, there was a presence of the Lord here that hundreds of people identified as being different from anywhere they'd ever been. The, the thing, a few years ago, we were discussing it on Facebook, and people were saying the, the thing that was most often said was the first time I walked in, I encountered something that I'd never felt before, the fear of God when I came in the door. No service going, all right? And so that was the thing. That was it. That's the main thing. God is here. <clears throat> now, some of what I'm going to talk about, you may question. Uh, but, you know, these things aren't really as weird as you think. What's actually weird is that we would actually believe that we're sovereign instead of God, and that God only can or will do what we can understand or imagine. Because what you just said is, I'm God. God can't do that. Oh, so you're God. Have you, have you ever read a Bible? See, a man with an experience in God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Fear of God manifestations. Two weeks into this, we were having a prayer meeting. We took a break from the revival to have a prayer meeting. We've been going every night. And so it was the end of the prayer meeting. We're standing over here in a circle praying. And I didn't see this, but several other people, the ones facing this way, saw it. I felt a drench come down over me. It just that I felt like I was soaked. And I just started singing in the Spirit. And then one by one, everybody started singing in the Spirit. And what happened was literally, and this was all open, then this was like a barn in here. It was like that over there. It had heat but no air, and this is summer, and all this was open up to the rafters, and literally, visibly, a river came down through the, through the roof, came over it, came right on me, and then went around the circle until everybody was singing in the Holy Spirit. Now, I just thought this is like the most awesome encounter with God ever, but I, did, I didn't see what was going on. And I never saw it when it was going around the side. I didn't see it. I just felt it. <clears throat> One day, it was about a month in, we didn't have this building yet. These two buildings were not... I want, I want you to understand something. This building didn't have air. It didn't have really walls or ceilings and comfortable chairs. And it was not connected to that building. There were no bathrooms in this building. They were in that building. So that basically made that an outhouse. So if you wanted to go to the bathroom, you had to go outside, go next door, and go to the bathroom. And the building was full every single night. Americans. I don't care if there's no bathroom, no air. God is showing up. And so I came. I was working in Branson. And I wanted to stop in at the church. It was around noon. And, and I walked up to the door to unlock the door. And so it was open there between the two buildings. And the air conditioner for that building was back there. And I thought I heard it running. And it made me mad. Because I'm an accountant too. And I thought, if these people 
had to write the check for the electric bill, they'd turn the air conditioning off when they left the building. That's what I thought. Forgive me. And uh, so I unlocked the door and I walked in and I got about three, four steps in and I realized that the sound I was hearing, the was louder inside than it was outside. That I walked into this just low kind of roar, this and there I looked up and, and, and literally the raptors were trembling. And the spirit of the fear of the Lord came on me. I didn't, even, I didn't turn around and walk out. I was afraid to turn my back. I went, dear Jesus, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't even be here. I'm a wicked man. And I just backed up to the door. Went out, locked the door, boom, went to Branson. Now, my brother-in-law worked for me, and he was our youth pastor. So I get to work. He's at work, and he goes, he goes uh, hey, how you doing? He looked like he was disturbed. I said, I'm good. Where you been? I said, well, I, I went by the church. And Oh, you went by the church? Yep. Everything all right at the church? Seemed to be. I mean, what are you going to say? Some of you are saying, oh, no way, man. You've got to understand, that's who I was. No way. And he goes, everything's fine there. I said, yeah, everything's fine. And we're just standing there, we're looking at each other. Like, who's going to be the first one to risk an insane asylum and say? And finally he goes, did you hear that? Did you feel that? I said, the... The, the roar, the trembling, he said, yeah. I said, yeah, totally. I, I said, I just backed out. I said, Jesus, I'm a wicked man. And I backed out. He said, I, I hit the ground and turned around and crawled out. <laughs> and we actually discussed whether we should cancel church that night. Like, you know, we've been asking God to come, but if he's going to come that much. <laughs> so we decided to risk it. <laughs> Hello, fear of God. One night, again, it was in the summer. There's no air conditioning. We had a lot of plants then. I don't know why. I just liked plants. <laughs> it looks good without them. Uh, but uh, the wind of God came blowing across the platform, and the, literally the plant, it was blowing so hard, the plants were doing this. And there's, n there's no air conditioning in here. What did you do? We got on our face. For a while. When did you get up? Well, we didn't feel the wind anymore. So many times, Craig and I, we would be fighting over the mic, and not in the way that men usually do. Give me the mic. No, we were like, take it. No, nah, I don't want it. Yeah, you take it. No, nah, I ain't touching it. I'm not touching the mic. And, and, and literally, one night, I like pulled the pastor card on him. I said, no, you have to take it. I'm the pastor. <laughs> I order you to take it. And so what did he do? He got down on his face, started crying out to God. And, and it, it's, that was the thing. It was, a, it was fear of the Lord. One night, Ken saw this. Shekinah, it was a few years later, the 
glory cloud rolled out of this wall here. You could see it. Many, many, many nights there was a, a river flowing through this altar area that you could literally walk into. Am I telling the truth? You could literally you would get up to a certain place and you would feel it as you'd walk into it. These are Yeah. I like the night we were sitting down. The service was over, all right? We've, we'd been here a while. The service was over, and Warren Hunter said, you know, it's pretty easy. We're sitting on the platform. He said, the Bible said the Holy Spirit filled the whole house where they were sitting. And when he said sitting, he waved his hand. This whole section over here was completely full. Everybody went <laughs> down on the floor. And we started up again. <laughs> Hello. Am I saying look for that stuff? No, I'm, I'm saying it, it, was, it was part of the fear of the Lord. And we came up with a thing called the Robbie Mitchell Rule. I'm going to tell this story. Um, one of the great evangelists in Arkansas, Pentecostal evangelists, was a guy named Robbie Mitchell. We were the same age. And we finally got him to our church. And uh, um, so he had kind of a following. So there was a lot of people here just to hear him. And so we're up praying because Craig and I had graduated from the nursery to the upper room. We're up praying before church, and Craig looks really upset. And so finally, we let everybody else go down. I said, what's wrong, Craig? He said, I don't want to tell you. I said, well, you got to tell me. He said, well, God spoke to me. I said, okay, what? He said, I'm supposed to preach tonight. I said, don't tell me that. He said, I know, right? <laughs> I said, I can't. I said, I got Robbie Mitchell here. All these people are here to hear Robbie Mitchell. I said, I know I told the Lord that, but he's not having it. <laughs> and uh, I said, all right. And I literally said this to him. I said, all right, you be ready just in case I decide to obey God. <laughs> what I was thinking. So we get up there. Robbie's there. I'm there. Craig's here. And the worship is winding down. And I'm standing there with the mic. I look at Craig. And I hand the mic to Robbie. Who then proceeds to preach the dumbest sermon in the history of the revival. And there were some dumb ones preached. And, uh, and the people are looking at me like David's men after Ziklag got burned. Like, let's stone David. This is all his fault. He's the one handing him the mic. So we get through the service, and we're back there. The office was back there then, and Craig and I had been reading Frank Bartleman's book on Azusa Street. He's one of the intercessors. And after he left Azusa, he went around the country preaching, and he was, this is his diary, and he would say things like, well, I was at Pittsburgh, and we were at such and such church, and the Holy Spirit couldn't move because the pastor was a stubborn man and would not yield to God. And so he memorialized these guys for all time. And so we're sitting back there, and I said to Craig, I said, I'm so sorry, man. He's not it's our idea. I, I might have done the same thing too. Might have. <laughs> he wouldn't have. And uh, <laughs> I said, yeah, I know, but I said, I'm just wondering what Frank Bartleman would say right now. And Craig said, he would say, we couldn't have a move of the Holy Spirit at Green Forest tonight because Pastor Killingsworth was a stubborn man who would not listen to the Holy Spirit. 
<laughs> yeah, that's what he would say, isn't it? And, uh, but that was the environment we lived in, salvations. There was a young man one night sitting right back there. The place was full. The chairs were a lot closer together, so you couldn't get out. You couldn't walk in front of somebody and get out. Craig's given an altar call. Conviction's on him. I'm, I'm up here watching and praying. And, and literally, this guy's wanting to get saved, and he can't get out. And the people on either side of him got their eyes closed praying probably for him. <laughs> but he can't get out. <laughs> and he's looking this way, and he's looking that way, and it's like a panic look on his face. And literally, guys, he finally gets up, climbs over the chairs, and runs to the altar to get saved. The, 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 the power of the fear of God and conviction. One morning during the offering service, it, it was, we were taking up the tithes. And I said, we're going to receive the tithes now. And if you're not saved, this would be a good time for you to take care of that. And four people came down and got saved during the offering. People were always getting saved in the communion line. We had communion every week. I'd say, if you're not saved, come anyway. We'll handle that. And they would come, they'd get the first element and say, I need to give my life to, to God. Come on now. More than once, somebody would be driving by and the fear of the Lord would hit them. They'd turn around across the street, come in and come in the first time this man come in weeping, heading straight to the front. I was in the middle of my sermon. I was thinking ushers would be nice right now because he's, he's looking right at me and he's coming. He gets down, I notice he's crying. He says, I was driving by. The Spirit of God struck me. I have to get saved now. The sermon was over. Hello. One night... Craig was preaching, he said, one of you, you're here, you're a Sunday school teacher at a Pentecostal church, and you've heard about this, and you wanted to check it out, but you didn't want anybody to know you're here, so you parked your car in the back. Now, I was with Craig for an hour before service up there. He didn't know any of this. He said, you need to get saved tonight. And... Uh, this woman gets up and comes to the front. Yeah, that's me. I want to check. I didn't want anybody to know I was here. I parked my car in the back of the church and we prayed with her. And I said, now what do we do? Because if somebody came here and got saved that went to another church, we would send their pastor a postcard and say, hey, this person prayed to receive Christ at our church. They go to your church. You might want to follow up. We weren't trying to be ugly. I mean, I can see where it would come off that way, but I said, well, what do I do with her? She's a Sunday school teacher. One of your Sunday school teachers got saved? So I sent the postcard. We kept the baptistry full all the time. Listen, this is not new. Think about the revival in Wales in 1904. Two million people in Wales, nearly 200,000 saved in a year. Bars shut down, athletic events canceled. Fear of the Lord on the services. People were afraid to get up and preach unless they had the word of the Lord. People wouldn't get up and sing unless they had the word of the Lord. All right? Revival in the Hebrides. Drew and Gabe and I have been there. And um, uh, just some of the stories from there. The outstanding feature of the 1949 revival was the presence of God. You could sense and feel the presence of God everywhere. This is people writing about it. Even the children sensed something. It was the power of God let loose. People went on their knees anywhere. 
I felt as if the Spirit of the Lord was in the very air one was breathing. The atmosphere was not just in the church, but everywhere. Whatever we were doing and wherever we were, we were conscious of the presence of God. We had no desire to go to sleep. God was in the homes. God was speaking to people at their work. The consciousness of the divine was everywhere. There was a universal consciousness of the presence of God. This is revival from heaven, Owen Murphy said. When men in the streets are afraid to speak godless words for fear that God's judgment will fall. When sinners, aware of the fire of God's presence, tremble in the streets and cry out for mercy. When without human advertising, the Holy Spirit sweeps across cities and towns in supernatural power and holds people in the grip of terrifying conviction. When every store becomes a pulpit, every heart an altar, and every home a sanctuary, and people walk carefully before God. Duncan Campbell, the great evangelist of that move, said, Revival is the baptism in the Holy Spirit on a corporate scale. During that period of time, we were talking to an old man in his 90s in Green Forest, a youth. We were out doing door-to-door ministry, and this man invited us in, and he told us about a revival that hit Green Forest in the 1920s. And he said, when you walk to town or be riding in your wagon to town, you could hear people out in the fields and the trees on the side of the roads, crying out to God. This is, this is not new. Why is revival often so extreme? Because it's a power encounter. Light is pushing back darkness. Ravenhill said it this way, revival is when God gets so sick and tired of being misrepresented He shows himself. John Wimber said this, an analogy that may help us understand what I mean by the term power encounter is found in nature. When warm and cold fronts collide, violence ensues, thunder and lightning, rain or snow, even tornadoes and hurricanes, there's a conflict and a resulting release of energy. It is disorderly, messy, and difficult to control. Power encounters are much like that. When the kingdom of God comes in direct contact with the kingdom of the world, there is conflict. Usually, it too is disorderly, messy, and difficult for us to control. Power encounters are difficult to control and are therefore hard for many Western Christians to accept because phenomena that do not fit our patterns of rational thought are uncomfortable. They plunge us into a world beyond rationality in which we lose control of the situation. Events that do not fit our normal categories of thinking are threatening for us and cause fear because they're unfamiliar, especially where spiritual power is involved. We said it this way back in the day. God will offend your mind to reveal your heart. Gabe's father, who went to heaven a couple years ago, was my best friend. He was coming to church here at the time. The first week the revival hit, he's thinking, I ain't having none of that. So he quit. My best friend quit. Went to another church the next week. And the revival hit there. (laughs) That week. And he said to Brenda, well, let's go on back to Green Forest. This is going to be everywhere, I think. Hello. Did some things get out of hand? Probably. Would I do it again the exact, exact same way for the same results? 
Yes. Now you can do it better. But I would do it all again for the same results. I need you to understand how all of this actually works. I, I said this Thursday night at our Bible study. If you can't heal sick people, you shouldn't be preaching. Jesus started his ministry by saying, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me. Come on. And this is, this is New Testament ministry. And he, gave them, he told them to preach, but he gave them power over unclean spirits and to heal the sick. If you can't cast out devils, you shouldn't be preaching. If I, by the finger of God, drive out devils, then you know the kingdom of God has come upon you. We leave these devils in place. There should be a power encounter. So I said, Thursday, if you can't heal sick people, you shouldn't be preaching. If you can't cast out devils, you shouldn't be preaching. Hello, I remember the first time Drew cast out a devil. Is at the campground. First one I knew of anyway. He came and said, hey, there's a devil back there. I said, well, handle it. <laughs> he looked at me and went, yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the middle of something here. <laughs> handle it. Because I wasn't going to let him be a preacher that couldn't cast out a devil. Jesus, in talking about discipleship, said, teach them to observe all things I've commanded you. That includes healing the sick and casting out devils. We have to teach you to do that. Paul said the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. He said to the Corinthians, I came in demonstration. And in this come, he could, have came, he could have blinded them with theology. But he said, I came in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. The Bible is not primarily a book to be explained, but rather a book to be believed and consequently obeyed. So the Son of God Himself started His ministry with the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the captives, for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it's interesting, in Mark 1, when he was, he was casting out a devil, and, and the people's response was, what new doctrine is this? He cast out a devil, and they said, what new doctrine is this? For he commands spirits with authority. So we think doctrine is a Bible study. He said, no, what new teaching? What new display is this? What manifestation? What doctrine, biblical doctrine, drives out devils? Come on. When Paul struck Elymas the sorcerer with blindness, Sergius Paulus believed, the Bible said, when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And in Luke 7, when John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and said, are you the one that is to come, or do we look to another? He didn't make a rational argument for his ministry. He didn't, he didn't start taking him through. He said, no, go back and tell him the blind see, the deaf hear, the crippled walk, and the gospel is preached. That's my answer. Well, how do you know you're of God? Because the blind see, the deaf hear, 
The crippled walk, the gospel is preached to the poor. With, a, with, with urgency. Everyone say urgency. Because see, when God sends revival, it's almost always followed by judgment. Either way, if the revival is received, you look down through history, every time there was a revival that was received and did a good work, it's followed by judgment. And certainly, every time it's rejected, it's followed by judgment. When God sends His Spirit, He's preparing you for something He's going to do in the earth that you're not going to be able to stand through without the presence of the Lord. But we like to deceive ourselves into thinking we have plenty of time. I thought of this quote yesterday. I'm almost done. Soren Kierkegaard said this, one of my favorite quotes. He said, All of us must make noise on New Year's Eve to drown out the macabre sound of grass growing over our graves. It was better when we had hourglasses. The clocks deceive us. But we had to invent them, for we needed the deception. For the rotating hands give us the illusion that time goes on forever. Meanwhile, we curse the hourglass, for indeed, it is a constant reminder that time is running out. Sometimes, beloved, you're out of time. Some of you are thinking, you've gone to 1 o'clock, you're out of time. I understand that, but you've been out of time for years, some of you. You're in sudden death over time, and it's just the mercy of God that you're not in hell right now. October 9th. 2018, I just had a heart calf. I'm laying in my room. The cardiologist walks in and says, we're opening you up in the morning, open heart surgery. Changed the mood in the room. <laughs> and I said, and it was five days till tax deadline. I said, can this wait till Monday? He said, the surgeon will come right in to talk to you he didn't even answer he walked out the surgeon walked in didn't even introduce himself he said hi i'm a surgeon he said my dad's a cpa i understand october 15th now i need you to understand something you're not going to live till monday oh <laughs> i'm out of time didn't know it think the problem is the Democrats or the Republicans are you don't have till 2024 well just wait till 2024 we'll get control of this thing and no you don't have it we had a problem long before November come on we have to have the break-in of the Holy Spirit to come upon our nation beyond a little 50 by 55 room, but it's got to start somewhere. We, beloved, are out of time. You don't have time to slowly seek for this 
for the next 30 years. We're going to lose our nation. Not politically. God is going to stand up and crush it if we don't turn back to God. He said He would. The nation that forgets God shall be turned into hell. You do not have time to mull this over. It's an urgency that we understood in the days of revival. We're not going to trade a move of God to build a ministry. Because history will record that we lost a nation while we were building a church. And I fear history is still going to record that for my generation. I'm here to tell you, you don't, well, I'm 30, I have plenty of time. You don't have plenty of time. You're out of time. You have time to try to decide whether we're going to pray and seek God and fast and ask God to come. But I have time to decide whether we're going to obey or whether we want God to come. No, we, we're out of options. You're not going to live till Monday. That needs to shock you the same way it shocked me physically. Shocked me so much I said, can I ask a question? Why we wait until in the morning? <laughs> he said, because we got another one just like you that's going in right now. Can the people of this city that are on meth and can they wait? If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, I need you to understand something. This I've preached since the early days of the revival. You can't get saved just whenever you want. I'll do it another time. No, no, no. Unless the Holy Spirit draws you. Unless the Holy Spirit authors faith in the heart and draws you. When He does that and we reject it, there's, there's no compulsion to ever do it again. He might, but He might not. You, look, you've got to understand. When God is speaking to you, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. I'm not saying that just because that was said to me that day. No, this is biblical. The Holy Spirit has to draw you to God. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord and the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, you, you don't have another day. Today is the day of salvation. And then he narrows it down anymore. He says, now is the time. So I finish with this. Whatever, whatever we do for you guys, go encourage the people. I seriously appreciate your response today so much.
I have gone a long time. And you've been dialed in the entire time. There's been no resistance. God is in this house. This is on Leonard Ravenhill's tombstone. I guess because he couldn't accept the fact that once he died, he wouldn't get to preach anymore. It says, are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Are the things you are living for worth Christ dying for? Some of you sat in revival for years and somewhere along the line you got off. Something choked out the word and became unfruitful. You need to make a decision whether that's going to be the last chapter or not. Don't think, well, I'm 30, I'm 40, I got time. No, you're out of time. If I know anything the Lord told me to come here to say today, it's that some of you are out of time. And that, yes, we as a church are out of time for our nation, but some of you particularly are out of time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.